take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. Hi, I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Please check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couple Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for nearly 20 years. You know, everyone says you should work on your relationship, but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast to teach people what they can do to create the relationship they've always dreamed of with the partner they fell in love with. On today's episode, we welcome Dr. Debbie Silber. Dr. Debbie, please thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. She is the founder of the Post-Betrayal Transformation Institute and is a holistic psychologist, a health mindset and personal development expert, the author of the number one best-selling book, The Unshakable Woman, Four Steps to Rebuilding Your Body, Mind, and Life After a Life Crisis, and her newest book, Trust Again, Overcoming Betrayal and Regaining Health, Confidence, and Happiness. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you so much. Looking forward to our conversation. So maybe uh, you could tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into this work and this line of work. Sure. Well, this is my 30th year in business. And uh, you know, now here I am studying betrayal. I don't know of anybody who says, you know, I think I want to, I think I want to study betrayal. <laughs> you study betrayal because you have to. And and I've been in health mindset, personal development as I kept changing, so did my business. And then I had a, a horrible family betrayal, and I thought I did the work to heal. And a couple of years later, my husband, and uh, there was the second betrayal. And anybody who's been through it, you're shocked, you're blindsided, you're devastated. And I, I took a look at the, the two experiences, and I thought, well, what's, what's common here? And what I noticed was I never took my needs seriously. It was all about everybody else. And, uh, and here I was, I, I got him out of the house and I had four kids and six dogs and a thriving business. And I was like, you know what? I'm getting a PhD. I had no idea how I was going to pay for it, take the time to do it, none of it. But I felt so intuitively guided to do it. And it was in transpersonal psychology, the psychology of transformation and human potential. While I was there, I did a study. I studied betrayal. What holds us back? What helps us heal? And what happens to us? physically, mentally, and emotionally, when the people closest to us lie, cheat, and deceive. That study led to three groundbreaking discoveries, which changed my health, my business, my family, my life. Wow. Wow. And so when we talk about betrayal, betrayal, we usually think Mm -hmm. about betrayal being someone cheating on us, right? Mm -hmm. And so maybe, you know, you could talk a little bit about what betrayal, you know, really is. Sure. It's, I define it as the breaking of a spoken or unspoken rule. And every relationship has them. Think about it. We had, we had one, we were going to meet up today and have a conversation, you know, and, and so every relationship has them. The way it works is the more we trust and the more we depend on someone, the deeper the betrayal. So for example, a child who's completely dependent on their parent, then the parent does something awful. That's going to have a different impact than let's say your best friend sharing your secret. Still is a shock, still is upsetting, frustrating. There's a lot, a lot to clean up in its wake, but not to the same magnitude. So it has lots of faces. Self-betrayal is a big one too. Yeah, especially uh, in paired, a bonded couple. Mm-hmm. That's a, oh, absolutely. That's yeah. a really important was, connection. Mm-hmm. Sure. This was the person you trusted. You know, think about it. When the person you trusted the most proved untrustworthy, who do you trust when the person you'd run to when everybody else is making you crazy is the one uh, to shatter that that trust, that sense of safety and security? What do you do? So it's uh, it's 
I, I really look at betrayal as one of the most painful of the human experiences because that person, those people who gave you that sense of safety and security is the very person or the very people to shatter it. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about those three discoveries? Oh, sure. So the first was I, I was originally I was studying betrayal and post-traumatic growth. And if and post-traumatic growth is sort of for those who aren't uh, familiar, sort of like the upside of trauma, how any trauma, you know, death of a loved one, disease, natural disaster, leaves you with a, an insight, a perspective and awareness that you didn't have beforehand. Like maybe you realize life is short. The little things matter, things like that. But I had been through death of a loved one, and I actually had been through disease. But I was like, Mm-mm, betrayal feels much different to me. But I didn't want to assume it was that way for everybody. So I asked my study participants, and I said, if you've been through other crises besides betrayal, I mean, besides, yeah, besides the betrayal, does it feel different for you? Hands down, unanimously, they said, oh my gosh, it's so different. It's so different. So it needed its own name, which is now called post-betrayal transformation. The reason why it's so different is, let's say you lose a loved one, like I lost my mom. You grieve, you're sad, you mourn the loss. You don't necessarily take it personally. Betrayal feels so intentional. So you take it so personally. So the whole self has to be rebuilt. Belonging rejection, abandonment, confidence, worthiness, trust. These are huge and they all have to be rebuilt. So it needed its own term, which is now called post-betrayal transformation. That was the first one. Any questions on that one or should I just plow into the next? Let me ask you a question on that one. So that seems to me that it would activate the part of us that goes into fight, flight, or freeze and Mm -hmm. that you could get really stuck there because of the the jarringness of that, as opposed to other losses that we have that are not going to necessarily activate that. And, oh, and- you're so right. Mm-hmm. You're so right. And and in fact, I love that you said that because the second discovery was while we can stay stuck for years, decades, a lifetime, and so many of us do, if we're going to fully heal, we will move through five now proven predictable stages. And what's even more exciting about that is now we know what happens physically, mentally, and emotionally at every one of those stages, and we know what it takes to move from one stage to the next. I'm happy to go through the five stages, and you'll see exactly what you mentioned that getting stuck where it shows up. So, Happy to go through that if you if you'd like me to. Sure, go ahead. Oh, sure. Okay. So the so this was the the second uh, discovery, the five stages. So the first, and I, and I talk all about them in trust again. I go into great detail, but here's a summary of them. So the first was like a setup stage. So this was before the betrayal, and I saw this with every study participant. Me too. If you imagine four legs of a table, the four legs being physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, what I saw with everybody was this real heavy lean on the physical and the mental and kind of neglecting the emotional and the spiritual. So what does that look like? Looks like we're really good at thinking and doing and not really prioritizing the feeling and being. But it's in the feeling and being, that's where our intuition lies. And we turn that down because we're so busy just getting things done, right? That's not to say if you're busy, it's a setup for betrayal. It's just what I what I saw with everyone. Stage two, by far the scariest stage. And this is the shock, D-Day, Discovery Day. And this is the breakdown of the body, the mind, the worldview. To your point, here's where we've ignited the stress response. We are now headed for every single stress-related symptom, illness, condition, disease. Your mind is in a complete state of chaos and overwhelm. You cannot wrap your mind around what you just learned. It's like the person you thought you knew so well just takes a mask off and says, this is who I've really been this whole time. The shock tattoos itself on your body and mind. Your worldview is shattered. Your worldview is your mental model. These are the rules. This is how it works. Don't go there. You can trust this person. And in a moment, all the rules completely shattered. Your bottom has bottomed out on you and a new bottom hasn't been constructed yet. I remember a study participant saying, you know what it feels like? It feels like every negative emotion you can imagine, getting punched in the gut and losing a child in a crowd all at the same time. Mm. It's horrible. (laughs) 
But think about it. If you were walking down the street and the bottom were to suddenly bottom out on you, what would you do? You would grab hold of anything and everything you could to stay safe and stay alive. That's stage three. Survival instincts emerge. It's the most practical of all of the stages. If you can't help me, get out of my way. How will I survive this experience? Who can I trust? Where do I go? How do I feed my kids? Like it's that practical. But here's the trap. Because survival, once you've figured out how to survive, because it feels so much better than the shock and trauma of where you just came from, you're like, whew, okay, I'm going to settle, settle in here. You have no idea there's a stage four and stage five. So a few things start happening. Now that you're here, the long, you're not meant to stay here a long time, but you don't know that. So we start planting roots here. The longer you stay, now a few things start happening. First is you start getting these small self-benefits, secondary gain, right? You get to be right. You get someone to blame. You get your story. You get a target for your anger. You get sympathy from everybody you tell your story to. You don't have to do the hard work of learning to trust again. Should I trust you? Should I trust you? Ah, forget it. I won't trust anybody. The roots get planted. Now, the longer you're here, you start thinking things like, well, maybe I'm not all that. Maybe I deserved it. Maybe in the mind starts doing things to you, deeper roots. Now, because like energy attracts like energy, you're calling situations and circumstances and people towards you to match how you feel, to confirm that's where you belong, deeper roots. It gets worse, but I'll get you out of there. Don't worry. Because you don't like it, but you don't know there's anything better. You're resigning yourself to thinking this is good is as good as it's going to get. So I better figure out a way to make this work. So here's where you start using food, drugs, alcohol, work, TV, keeping busy, reckless behavior. And you do that for a day, a week, a month now to have it, a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. And I can see someone 20 years out and say that emotional eating or that drinking, or that numbing in front of the TV, do you think that has anything to do with your betrayal? And they would look at me and say, oh my gosh, that happened 20 years ago. They've been in a perpetual holding pattern this whole time. So stage three is the most common place to get stuck. Any questions before I go to four and five? No, go ahead to four and five, and then we'll we'll dive deep in all of them. Yeah, good. sure. So, and I didn't get to the third discovery. So anyway, so if you're ready to give up all those small self-benefits, grieve the loss, do a few things. You can move to stage four. Stage four is finding and adjusting to a new normal. Here's where you acknowledge, I can't undo my betrayal, but I can control what I do with it. And I always use the example of if you were to move into a new house, office, condo, apartment, whatever, all your stuff's not there. It's not quite cozy yet, but it's going to be okay. And when you tell this to your mind, you start turning down the stress response. You're not physically healing just yet, but you're not causing the massive damage you were causing in stage two and stage three. Now, this is what's so interesting to stage four. If you were to move, you don't necessarily take everything with you. Right? You don't take the things that don't represent who you want to be in your new space. If your friends weren't there for you, here's where you don't take them with you. You've just outgrown them. So people say to me all the time, Dr. Debbie, what the heck? I've had these friends 10, 20, 30 years. Is it me? Yes, it is. You're undergoing a transformation. You've simply outgrown those friends. Anyway, when you're in this stage, you're making it okay. You're making it home. You can... Uh, move into the fifth most beautiful stage. And this is healing, rebirth, and a new worldview. The body starts to heal. You're more interested in eating well and exercising, self-love, self-care. You didn't have the bandwidth for that earlier. You were surviving. You're making new rules and your mind is healing. You're making new rules and boundaries based on your experience. And you have a new worldview based on what you see so clearly now. And remember the four legs of the table in the beginning, it was all about the physical and the, and the mental. By this point, we're solidly grounded because we're focused on the emotional and the spiritual too. Those are the five stages. You know, when I'm, I'm listening to you talk, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, in, in our field, there's PTSD, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. most people are very familiar with PTSD. It is typically a trauma, you know, a perceived death type of trauma. And, mm-hmm. and how, I'm just wondering how similar is this, you know, the, the you know, this betrayal syndrome mm-hmm. 
to mm-hmm. PTSD. Yeah. So PTSD, and, and, I'm, and that really goes with the third discovery. And, and what that was, was we realized there's this collection of symptoms so common to betrayal, physical, mental, and emotional. It's now known as post-betrayal syndrome. So post-betrayal syndrome is that collection of symptoms. PTSD is very common when it comes to betrayal. And, and what's, what I find with so many people, I experienced it too, you know, here your, your body thinks it's, you're triggered and your body is behaving as if it's D-Day again. And it's all happening again. So cognitively, you know, that's not the case, but your, your brain's been hijacked, you know? So temporarily that's, that's where you are and it's exhausting and it's so upsetting. And I guess we look at typically PTSD is reserved sort of for war vets. You know, they hear a car backfire and they believe they're back in war, but it's very common when it comes to betrayal. And, and what I found though, uh, and, and one of the studies I remember reading was that the PTE, PTSD is more significant when there's more dissociation. So the more willing we are to, in our community, we say face it, feel it, heal it, the less likely, you know, that's how we manage the PTSD symptoms. I was also wondering, is there a difference in the betrayal response if it was maybe a parent that had mm-hmm. caused that betrayal versus a relationship later on, like in an adult life? Yeah, it, it's, it's a great question. What, what we've seen is, um, and you may be familiar with the ACE study, you know, when, when there are uh, experiences in childhood that kind of lend themselves to how we show up later as, as far as our health and, and relationships. And what I, what I see so often is, there are so many significant physical, mental, emotional, psychological, spiritual uh, symptoms left in the wake of a childhood experience. But what makes it so common to the adult experiences, so often that's why we have the adult experience, because not because of the beliefs we walk out of that earlier scenario with. And then that treatment, let's say, just feels so familiar. Not that it's good, but it's familiar. So we meet someone and we're like, oh, I, I know what that is. I get it. Sort of like the devil, you know. So right. it's it's very often, it's so, uh, it's so common just to see that, you know, you have that childhood experience with, let's say, a narcissistic parent or it's some level of abuse or something. And then there again, you know, it's familiar. And, and that's one of the ways we can always tell an unhealed betrayal. Uh, we see it in health, work, relationships. For example, I'll see it in relationships in one of two ways. If it's a repeat betrayal, it's an unhealed betrayal. Mm-hmm. You keep getting opportunities to learn. Well, you know, not, not that it's your fault, but these are opportunities to learn. You are lovable, worthy, deserving. You need better boundaries in place, whatever it is. And until and unless you learn that, you're going to keep having opportunities in the form of people to teach you that. Or we see it where people, they just put that big wall up. They're like, nope, no one's getting near me again. Been there, done, done that. And they think it's coming from a place of strength. It's not. It's coming from fear. Mm-hmm. So, and we see it in health and, and in work in so many ways too. And I'm happy to share that and share the third discovery, whatever you want to know. <laughs> One of the things that as you're talking, I'm thinking about what it feels like physiologically yeah. in your stomach in your heart and yeah. that there's a, a visceral physical pain that goes with betrayal that kind of keeps you stuck in that loop of the pain goes into the brain and the brain goes into there's a trauma and there's a yeah. danger and then back into the shame function mm-hmm. because all pain uh, is experienced as emotional shame, whether it's true or not, which it mostly is not. And then you get stuck in that loop. And I would think a lot of people who have been through that experience, they are kind of constantly in that place of pain. Has that also been your experience? Oh, it's, it's excruciatingly painful. You know, we've had over 18,000 people in the last year and a half, two years or so, take the post-betrayal syndrome quiz to see to what extent they're struggling. And I pull the stats every couple of months just to see how people are showing up. And and I, I actually have some I'd love to read to you. So to, you know, to your point, you'll see exactly what you're talking, what 
confirming what you're saying. But what's so interesting also is we've all heard time heals all wounds. I have the proof when it comes to betrayal, that's simply not true. There's a question that reads, is there anything else you'd like to share? And people write things like, my betrayal happened 40 years ago and I can still feel the hate. My betrayal happened, you know, 35 years ago and I can't trust. My betrayal happened 15 years ago. I feel like it happened yesterday. So it's one of those things that uh, time does, time alone does, it'll soften it, but it does not heal it. But yeah, but I, I pulled some of these stats and, and I think you'll really appreciate this. So this is out of 18,000 people, eight, around 18,000, 78% constantly revisit their experience. This is when they're not healed. Um, 81% feel a loss of per- personal power. 80% are hypervigilant. That's exhausting alone, just being hypervigilant. 94% deal with painful triggers. Now, these are the most common physical symptoms. 71% have low energy. 68% have sleep issues. 63% extreme fatigue. 47% have weight changes. So in the beginning, maybe you can't keep food down, so you lose weight. Then you emotionally eat and you gain weight. Uh, have digestive issues and digestive issues can be IBS, Crohn's, uh, uh, diverticulitis. It could be a constipation, diarrhea. What's so interesting about this was, you know, I thought about it one day and I said, well, think about what the gut does. It absorbs, digests and processes food. Isn't a betrayal difficult to absorb, digest and process? Any wonder why the gut is acting out. Uh, Some of the most common mental changes 78% are overwhelmed, 70% in a state of disbelief, 68% unable to focus, 64% in shock, 62% are unable to concentrate. So imagine here you are, let's say you have a family, let's say you're trying to work, let's say, and you, you, you have a gut issue, which is so uncomfortable, and you're exhausted, and you have brain fog, you can't even concentrate. That's not even the emotional symptoms. Emotionally, 88% sadness, 83% anger. I mean, you just go back and forth between those two, and that's exhausting. 82% feel hurt. 80% are anxious. 79% are stressed. Here's why I wrote the book, Trust Again. 84% have an inability to trust. 67% prevent themselves from forming deep relationships because they're afraid of being hurt again. 82% find it hard to move forward. 90% want to move forward, but they don't know how. So it would seem like getting into that fifth stage, mm-hmm. you know, where you are healed would mm-hmm. seem like this, this pie in the sky kind of thing, right? It's like, how does someone start that healing process, especially since time is relevant, right? And we see right. that in, in our work with couples is that, you know, relationship pain, things that they have carried from their childhood, they play out in their current relationship. And if they're not able to heal that together, then they're mm-hmm. not able to get to those higher stages in their relationship. So, you know, how does one start that healing process? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, first of all, you're looking at someone who did it. And, uh, and, and, that's what, and that's what we teach. It's interesting because there were three groups in the study that did not heal. The first one was the group that was numbing, avoiding, distracting. I mean, yes, it may have made it a bit easier to get through the day. Not without a price. They stayed where they were. The second group refused to accept their betrayal. They just weren't, nope, they weren't having it. They weren't going there. And the third group was the group where the betrayer had very little consequence. So maybe because out of financial fear, religious reasons, fear in general, whatever, not wanting to break up a family, they did their best to put it behind them, just try to push it aside. Uh, I only saw two things in this group a further deterioration of the relationship. And number two, this group was by far the most physically sick. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's too, your heart can't take that. So what, what we teach in the PBT Institute is how to know when it's safe and in your best interest to just heal and move on. And that's what I did with my family. Simply, simply wasn't an option to rebuild with them or how to know uh, when it's safe in, and in your best interest to rebuild something entirely new, if the situation lends itself, if you're willing, if you want to, with that person who hurt you. And that's what I did with my husband. So not long ago, we married each other again. New rings, new vows, new dress, and our four kids as our bridal party. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, yeah, you know, you have to know uh, where 
where the, I teach something called the window of willingness, and it shows you the likelihood that you're working with someone, uh, if you want to, where you're willing and best case scenario to heal and rebuild or heal yourself and, and, and move along. You, you never, you know, you never know. Forgiveness, though, however, is just really about us. Reconciliation, if that's what you're interested in, has so much to do with that other person. Uh, but regardless, um, my my work is helping the person who's been betrayed get to their physical, mental, and emotional best. Because from that place, they make the best decisions. I, I have two questions, and they're probably sure. not totally related, but I think they are. One is, is there a difference between the way men respond to betrayal and the way women respond to betrayal? And... Um, are we always talking about something sexual? Because I think a betrayal, like if someone took money or something else, I think would also feel very different than, you know, our spiritual energy and our sexual energy come from the same place. And it's mm-hmm. such a great wound. So could you speak mm-hmm. to both of those? Sure. So uh, to your first question, we have, we have men and women in our community. And I have to say though, the men aren't, um, and I think men are just trained this way. They're not taught to share and express their feelings. Doesn't mean they don't have them. It just means they're not taught to express them. So they're not as comfortable. We even have a, a very private men's men's club in our group. So they don't feel bombarded by the women. Um, so just, just right there, I think men have a, have a harder time because they don't have the in their mind, the freedom just to express it. That's the first thing. But I remember reading a study where there was a bit of a difference and it was where the men have a harder time with the physical aspect of the betrayal and the women have a harder time with the lies and deception. And I think it had something to do with, you know, when you go back with, with uh, having kids and things like that, if, if, if the physical side is compromised well, that man is not having any more children with that woman. But however, if the man, if it's an emotional thing, well, she lost that man. So it, it's more like that. That Those were the the things I remember really from this uh, study reading about that. But it hurts just as much. That's your first question. And your second question. Oh, the other types of betrayal. They all hurt um, to, to different, you know, I think a lot of the, uh, level of hurt also has so much to do with our makeup. Like, for example, I didn't know before my betrayal, I happened to be a highly sensitive person and an empath. I had no idea. I just thought I was always too sensitive, too emotional, too this, too that. Well, so think about it. And I look at, at um, let's say, a highly sensitive person as opposed to someone who isn't highly sensitive. A highly sensitive, uh, let's say, other people are walking around with a, a, a little bit of a layer of bubble wrap around them. A highly sensitive has none. So everything just penetrates right through. So, so much of the impact of the hurt also has to do with the person, that, that person on the other end. What are they starting out with? What are they, you know, what are their resources? Who are they? You know, that has a tremendous amount to do with it. Um, but, but, what I found was originally I was also studying um, it was family members and partners, betrayal of a family member and partner. Originally I was studying and friends as well, but what I, I dropped that because I found when a friend betrays you, I'm not talking about a marital betrayal with a friend. I'm just talking about a friend who betrays you. You're furious. You're angry. You're all of these things, but they don't break you. I mean, of course, we're never broken, but, you know, they don't break you like your family or your partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not as deeply devastating as exactly. that bonded partner, you know, that yes. connected with. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine yeah. the this idea of, of being more sensitive would probably lend to you being more in that state of sort of shock a lot where your nervous system is kind of jarred and you're always sort of perceiving that maybe there's an issue. And so it would probably prime you to overlook some of the cues that are really there because you're like, no, I'm just too sensitive. I'm overreacting. You know, I, I, that probably doesn't mean what I think it does. Well, it could be, but like for me, 
I live by a very simple rule. If it's going to hurt someone, don't do it. And I assume everybody lives that way. And I'm always shocked that that's not the case. So there are, there are so many, so many factors, Mm -hmm. so many. And, and with, with all of the people who've come through the PBG Institute, we find that there really are, the pain is the same, but the scenarios and the outcomes are all so different based on so many, um, so many variables. Mm-hmm. I, I was wondering if, you know, people with a history of sexual abuse, if they have any other, they have a different reaction when it comes to betrayal. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because what I've found is when someone has a history of sexual abuse so often, um, they can become the betrayer and they become the betrayer. Because I always find that sometimes uh, not always find sometimes, but I find often that abuse leads to addiction. So let's say uh, because of that abuse, very often that could lead to a sexual addiction. Mm -hmm. So they become the betrayer, not because of uh, they just necessarily want to have sex with everybody. But when you're, when, when they were young, that was taken out of their control. So maybe this sex addiction is their way of having control. So I see it play out more like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So when someone is starting a healing process, it, it seems to me that there's a lot of stages people go through where, you know, it, first it's more outward and then it becomes more inward. Like, what am I going to uh, tolerate in my life and how am I going to live like that vigilancy piece? Yeah. Like that's exhausting. Yeah. I'm not doing that anymore. And, and I will, you know, often when I'm teaching about trust, trust is really about yourself. Like, do you trust yourself that if something comes your way, you're going to respond to it in a way that mm-hmm. feels healthier and, and more holistic because we don't have control over that out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So have you seen that too, where, where the shift goes from outward to inward? You know, it, what I've seen is, I mean, I wrote the book trust again. So the, the, the four, the, we have, besides the five stages, I talk about a, a four step trust rebuilding process. And, and I'm happy to share that. What um, I look at trust like a brick wall and that brick wall could take decades to build brick by brick by brick. I don't know of any other way to shorten that process other than brick by brick by brick. And then in one earth shattering moment, the entire wall can come tumbling down. Now the person who's been betrayed can look at the rubble of bricks and say, I don't have the least bit of interest in watching that thing get it rebuilt. And they have every right to walk away. However, if they choose to, let's say the person who's been betrayed chooses uh, to they're, they're even thinking about reconciling, what needs to happen is they need to be willing to watch that brick wall get rebuilt and the betrayer needs to be a really good bricklayer, brick by brick by brick over time. So, but you're right when you say about trusting yourself, it's a huge piece. And I think we bypass that so often. We're so eager just to trust again. We forget we have to start with ourselves. So I teach this four-step trust rebuilding process. And it's as simple as this. Because trust is so foundational, and when it's shattered, you have to start at the beginning. So you have to build a very foundation. So I'm talking as simple as like, will the sun rise? I don't know. My world was so, so shattered. I can't count on the sun rising. So you check every morning. And until you believe that, you just keep giving that morning check and you see. Once it's firmly in place, like I can trust that now. Then you move on to the next stage and that would be the next level of that. And that would be learning to trust in your gut because we, we turn that down. So learning to trust in your gut, in your, your, your inner wise inner guide, your, you know, your, your intuition. And what that means is you want to know what trust feels like. What does trust feel like to you? You know, picture two babies laughing, whatever it is in your world. How does your body respond and react to that? That's how trust feels for you. How does a lack of trust feel? Go back to D-Day. Go back to that time that you know that person was lying to you. How is your body telling you? That's, that's how you know there's a lack of trust. And what you're doing right there is you're kind of building a little bit of that sense of safety and security because you're trusting your gut. When that's in place, 
then you need to learn how to rebuild trust in yourself. Like you said, that shattered too, because we say, I was, I'm a right person. How did I not see? How did I not know? So to do that, you give yourself little tasks and then you do them. I'm going to drink that glass of water. And then you do, I'm going to go to the gym today. And then you do, I will not call my ex. And then you don't, whatever it is. And what you're learning is, and what you're teaching yourself is you're trustworthy. If you say something, you mean it. And now if you have that foundation built strong and solid, you trust your gut, your intuition, you trust yourself from that space, you can slowly and cautiously learn to trust in others again. But we bypass those three stages just because we're like, okay, forget it. Let me just trust you again. It fails. Doesn't work. Were you able to um, hear something from your partner that helped you feel inside like they really... They really got it, what they did, and they transformed and they found their integrity again. That was an indication that they were a safe person again to work on building. Yeah. And, and, you know, in in my case, I, I never would have married him again if I didn't know that old version of him is nowhere to be found. And um And I think one of the reasons why his transformation was so huge was because he was the one who sat down and told my kids. And when you have four teenagers looking at you and they're like, you did what to our mom? If anything is going to have you wake up and fall from grace and realize what's important, it's that. He lost all of us. So that was that was a gigantic wake up call for him. But I was very cautious. I was, I didn't know this back then, you know, and and I was just learning it. And and, uh, so I was really apprehensive with all of it. But every time I even, in the beginning, of course, we just spoke about the kids. I wasn't willing to even talk about anything else. But after that, when it was anything else, if I even if I was going to be met with that version of him, like, for example, let's say I was triggered. Right. And uh, let's say the old version of him would have been defensive or whatever. This version was right there with me. How can I help? What do you need? You know, and it was or let's say something happened and the old version of him would have reacted one way. And I was met with empathy and support. And it happened so often that that it was like each time was a brick in that brick wall. That's why it cannot be rebuilt quickly at all. I, and here's the biggest thing, too, and I see this with, with members of our community. And I call them on it every time, all the time. When it, when it comes to betrayal, you really, it lends itself to transformation. And you're really recreating an entirely new identity. You're bringing the parts of you you like, and you're leaving behind all of the parts that no longer serve, right? So let's say I didn't like it anymore that I never took my needs seriously, that I let boundaries get crossed. This new version of me was not having it, but that's hard work to maintain that. But I made a vow and I said, okay, if, if I'm unwilling to see a cell of the old him, I can't show up as the old me either. Mm-hmm. And it really kept me on, on task. It was brutal. But we, we now, I mean, our family is rebuilt. We are having so much fun. It's, it's better than ever. So was it hard out of everything I've ever been through? It was by far the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, worth I it, I guess another so. two-part question. Yeah. So, um, how did you tell your, how did you decide to tell your kids? What did your kids need in order to heal? And how yeah. do you deal with uh, the opinions of other people that are telling you, leave, let them go, walk away. You are, yeah. you're a fool. How do you deal with mm-hmm. them? Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, it's, those are all great questions. So my priority was the kids. And uh, like I said, my husband was the one who told them. So there was a lot there uh, for him to do the work that he needed to do to rebuild if he was going to rebuild trust with them, which he's he's been working on ever since that day and doing a beautiful job. He even called all my friends to apologize for who he'd been to their friend. He took this very seriously. Um, And uh, for me, though, 
my world in the very beginning was no more than taking care of my clients uh, and the kids and the dogs. And I would crash clients, kids, dogs, crash. that was just it. Uh, but it was really reassuring because I, I didn't want to burden them, but I was also very real. I was like, listen, I'm, I'm going to do my best here, but I'm going through something I never saw coming. So bear with me. And on their own, they each came to me and said, you know, what, mom, we're good. We're good with whatever you decide. We're behind you. If I tell you how that was such a, took such a load off me because I was like, okay, so now let me just figure out my life here, but I don't have to. I don't have them saying, why are you doing that? Why are you not doing that? Like that was huge. That was a huge, huge thing. Um, As far as the, uh, just the judgment of other people. I mean, think about it. This is what gossip thrives on. Right. And, and, and I have a business and a brand and I'm out there in a, in a, in a fairly big way. And in trust again, my entire story's in there. And I remember, um, thinking about like, wow, why am I doing this? I check, I always check my intentions and I was like, you know what? I want to help the people who, who need to know healing's possible. And, and uh, am I going to get the haters and the trolls? Of course, it's part of it's part of what goes on. And I sat all my kids down and I sat my husband down and I was like, you know what? Just want you to know the story's in there. And, and I thought they were like, the kids would be like, Oh, come on, mom. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And they were like, you know, Mom, you're going to help a lot of people. My biggest supporter, my husband, he said, you know what? This is going to be a game changer for, for, for people, for couples, even for the betrayers, because they'll, they'll see a true, true um, reconciliation, mm-hmm. apology, remorse, restitution, uh, regret, forgiveness is possible. And with that, I, uh, it's like, okay. And, and, you know, any good coach has a coach. I remember being in a, in our coaching group on zoom and you know, all the boxes of everybody. And, uh, and our coach was like, what's new with you? What's new with you? And it was my turn. I'm like, Oh, well, the study showed this and the study showed that and the study, the study. And he just looks at me and he points his finger and he said, stop hiding behind your effing study already. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I realized on a one-on-one how powerful this was and how people were changing. And I was like, all right, go big or go home get out of the way, you know, just, so I don't read the review. I mean, I've done two TEDx's and, and all kinds of media and, and I just don't read the reviews because I, you know, I'd rather not hear the bad. <laughs> than we, uh, we rather avoid. the same way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, you know when you, when you're, one of the things you know, you're a lot is, you know, we get wounded through relationship and we heal through relationship. And you know, I was just wondering, do you feel, or do you think that your healing process was more effective and more thorough because it was the betrayer, because it was your husband that was Mm -hmm. part of that healing process versus going through it alone. And, you know, the relationship ended and having to heal that on your own. It's, it's a different dynamic. Like with my family, I mean, that was horrible. And I, I healed myself and, and moved on and I'm the most family oriented person I know. So that was so hard. What healing and rebuilding with the person who hurt you meant that is my ego got in the way. If I tell you how many times that was a rough one. Uh, the injustice was eating me up alive. Mm. I don't hurt anybody. So the, inj- I couldn't manage the injustice. And I remember saying uh, healing myself isn't even enough. If I'm healing from this, I'm taking everybody with me. And, and we're doing something really big with this. And, and also, you know, I happen to be very spiritual and I'll, I'll never, you know, with, with the shattering of trust, you don't trust yourself. You don't trust the betrayer. So, and I saw this in the study too. We kind of venture, well, maybe we could trust in something bigger other than us. So I remember seeing an intuitive coach because I was like, I need someone on speed dial here who can give me a direct line. I'm, I'm really in trouble. And I, and I walked in to our, to our session and she just starts laughing. I'm like, what are you laughing at? She goes, oh my gosh, how you two planned this. I was like, what did you just say? She said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He needed something so catastrophic so he can crash and burn and become the husband, father, friend. He's supposed to be you. You needed to crash and burn and heal and be able to teach from this deep 
place of knowing you're going to have an institute and books and this huge following around betrayal. And I'm thinking you're crazy. <laughs> so yeah, that's, Every, just, that's really amazing. Everything happens for a reason. apparently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, in, in, if we go back to what it feels like in your body and, mm-hmm. and you're carrying that pain around, how long did you feel that? And do you still have that? Or are you able to feel that safeness and, and that security in the world again? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's such a, again, it's such a great question. The, I found the timeline has to do with willingness more than anything has to do with letting go of the resistance because, and, and, and here, even in the study, I thought, I assumed that the people, you're not supposed to assume anything in research. I was new at this, but you know, I thought the people who were the hardest hit would grow the least because they had the most to overcome. I was dead wrong. That had nothing to do with it. It was the ones who put their head down and said, I don't, I don't care what it takes. I am getting to the other side of this. They blew the doors off of the ones who had, let's say, a lesser scenario, but were, let's say, numbing. So it, the timeline had more to do with that than anything. Um, for me, I think the reason why mine was fairly quick was because of the depth that I dove into this. Everything that's happened um, it's really about five years since the, the diving into the PhD, the study, the five stages, the program certifying the coaches to help other people, the books, the TEDx's, the podcast, like that's all within the last five years. And I think for me, because I dove in at such a deep level and I was teaching it, it forced me to do the work. Like I remember a million years ago when I was a personal trainer, I didn't want to work out, but I had to face people. So it like forces you. So I think it's sort of similar here where if I'm representing this work, I can't afford to to the luxury of of continually going down that rabbit hole because I then I'll worry about that whole imposter syndrome and I don't want to deal with it. So I'd rather just do the work and I don't have to worry. Did that answer your question? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, to me, it feels like we're we're born so innocent and beautiful and that it's like this light shining from us and all of the betrayal of life is like a handful of mud getting caked on there and that energy has to go somewhere and so it's like you have this volcano on top but you have all the bubbling lava that's down in your you know in your gut which is where you know that's why you have digestive issues and in that yucky place where it feels inside and the process of healing to me feels like sublimation. Like you need to get that, all that dirt up there to kind of poof. Mm -hmm. And the only thing to really replace it with to have a full healing experience is love and forgiveness. Oh, you're so right. You're so right. It is such a shock to the heart. I never physically felt anything in my heart area except for when it was that betrayal. And I'll never forget, I I was saying for a while, my heart hurts, my heart hurts. And then all of a sudden I noticed it really physically started hurting. And then I thought, wow, you know, women have uh, heart attacks differently than men. The silent killer, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, am I having a heart attack? And I was like, okay, if this continues, I better get myself to the hospital. And I remember at the time I was going to a, a, a yoga class once a week and I loved, she used to give these life lessons. I talk about it in trust again. And she was saying how when we have scars, um, when we're when we're a kid, we're proud of them. We're like, oh, look at my scar. And when we're older, we we hide them. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna imagine that my heart has scar, and because it's healing, that's why it hurts. And it was getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, and then eventually, I did. I went to the hospital, and um, turned out it was a panic attack. Mm. I never had panic attacks, you know but it was because of this. And I remember laying there with all these tubes and wires. And I'm like, this place is for sick people. Get me out of here. And that's when I was like, I I better do something about this because this will kill me. Yeah. Well, it does seem like you have been showing your scars now to the world and it has benefited a lot of people out there that are going through betrayal. You know, it's, it's, it's like, if you're going to bother going through something, 
I didn't, I didn't do anything anybody else couldn't do. I just said, you know what? I'm doing something good with something bad. Mm-hmm. Before we end, can you speak to a couple that has the, the, the betrayal has been exposed. Mm-hmm. They have chosen to try to work on it. Mm-hmm. They're in that place of pain and shame. What, what would you say to them? Yeah. You know, I would say don't make any decisions from a low place. Just don't do the work. Both of you separately to get to your physical, mental, emotional best and then at that point, you'll either outgrow each other or you'll become a power couple. Hmm. But when one does the work and the other doesn't, it never works. This is, this is the work of two individuals, the death of the old in order to rebirth the new. Death of the old betrayer, death of the old uh, betrayed, death of the old relationship in order to birth the new. And when they just try to patch it up so it's easier, not the way to do it that I see working. Right. That's really beautiful. And we know that part of our brain, that limbic system, it has no relationship to time, which is why you remember everything to protect you, you know, like don't touch the hot stove, Mm -hmm. even if 30 years goes by. And it's that same part of us that unless a, a healing response is applied to it, we stay in that pain. And Thank you so much for sharing your story. This is really, really awesome. Uh, Thank you so much. And thank you so much for giving people like me an opportunity to share. And and Dr. Silber, if people wanted to get in touch with you or learn more about the Institute, where would they go to find that information? Thank you. Yeah, the best thing they can do is just take the post-betrayal syndrome quiz so you see to what extent you're struggling. They can find that at the PBT, as in post-betrayal transformation, thepbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz. Wonderful. That is so awesome. Mm -hmm. And then your books are available on Amazon or... Well, you know what? I invite everybody to get them through this special link because then if they get them on Amazon, they can come back and get all kinds of goodies. So that's thepbtinstitute.com forward slash trust again. And we'll have that in the show notes. And we'll put that in the show Mm -hmm. notes for everybody as well. Thank you you so much. We want to wholeheartedly thank you for joining us today on Couple Synergy. Thank you so much. You know, people have been sharing stories since the beginning of time to bond and healing to grow. And we hope that by you sharing your story, it's enriched your life and the lives of our listeners. Thank you uh, to all our listeners for joining us on Couple Synergy today as well. Our passion is in helping couples have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Couples Weekend Intensive, and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.